what I have come to learn in, in practicing functional medicine now is that it's if someone's stress level is extremely high, you know, I can give supplements all day long and nothing's gonna change, right? Yeah. That the that fight or flight being stuck in some, you know, that that flight or fight, uh, you know, the, the sympathetic response is so damaging to the body, you know, to the gut, to, you know, the hormones, all of it. And so it's just, it's in my mind, if that's not in, you know, if the stress response isn't in, in check, if it's not balanced properly, I'm going to have a real hard time fixing anything else. Welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bush. As a board-certified integrative and functional medicine health coach, I work with physicians and clients across the country to create healthy habits that stick. You just heard an excerpt from this week's guest, Dr. Emily Rodesheimer, who is one of those physicians I work with. And today, we talk about adrenal health and stress, a topic that is a big focus in her functional medicine practice. The mission of this podcast is to empower you, the listener, to take charge of your own health and to shift the healthcare paradigm one conversation at a time. In this episode, we talk about the different types of stress, how they affect the body physiologically, adrenal function, the adrenal gland where cortisol and our stress hormone is produced, how many of us diminish stress, and its effects on our bodies. But we also provide some tools that can be incredibly helpful in reducing the stress response in our bodies. These tools can go a long way to reversing and preventing health conditions due to chronic stress. Stress affects all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, and it's not going away. So if you want to live up to your full capacity, then stick around, have a listen to Dr. Emily and I, and maybe start shifting your mindset around the stress in your world. Now on to this week's show. Okay, well, welcome, Dr. Emily Rodesheimer of Balanced Living Functional Medicine in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. Hi, Karen. It's uh, such an honor to be here, and I'm I'm excited to to speak with you today. Yeah, great. I'm excited to have you here too. And and for the people listening, um, just to let you know, Dr. Emily and I work together. Um, I am the health coach in her practice and clinical coordinator, and um, it's been such a great experience since you started your practice. I really have enjoyed the people that I get to interact with, as well as getting to know you better. So this is about getting to know you a little bit better, understanding how you came to medicine, as well as our topic is really adrenal function and stress, which I think is a a really big, deep topic. It's right. a big one for sure. So yeah, no one I would rather talk about it with than, than you, one of my favorite people in the world. So. Oh, Emily, that's so awesome. Um, I would say the same thing for you, but we've got a mutual admiration society here, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let me just ask you a few things about just, you know, that I don't know, um, how you actually came to be interested in becoming a physician and where did that come from? Did you have an influence when you were younger? Did you just always know that was what you wanted to do or, you know, how'd that happen? Yeah. So I, I think it really all stemmed from uh, my own personal experience. When I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis 
And it took a, over a year to figure out what was wrong with me because it's not, it, back in those days, it wasn't very common for a 10-year-old to have something like that. So right. I saw a lot of different doctors, you know, came in contact with lots of nurses and other health staff. And, um, you know, it, in the children's aspect, I feel like those people tend to be so caring. And, you know, it, it was just, a, it was a really positive experience, although obviously I was struggling, but, you know, the, the care I received was all you know, with, with such big heart and, and, you know, everyone made me feel so special. So um, I think that that really had a huge impact. And then I have just always been fascinated with the human body and in science and, um, you know, all of the, the amazing things that the body can do. So, uh, you know, my mom was laughing and telling me a story the other day that she remembered when I was in high school, we were at the grocery store together. And, you know, the, you know, at the checkout, they have all the magazines and everything that you can buy. And instead of wanting to buy like, you know, the teen magazine, I wanted to buy prevention, <laughs> you know, the, the health magazine. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. So she, oh. Yeah, isn't that funny? So she bought me prevention. I, I mean, I just have always been interested. And in, I think mostly stemming from my own personal experience. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. That that's really a great story. Uh, I don't know how many kids would actually want Prevention magazine instead of like Teen or something. I was a little bit of a nerd. I'll I'll admit it. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. That's a great thing, right? I mean, you know, I I think too. Like it, you kind of knew from a young age. Like this is like a place where I wanna I wanna explore a little bit more. But I'm excited that you had such a positive experience with the, the medical professionals that you worked with, because that's not always right. the case with kids. And yeah, for you, um, positive. And it led you there. So, um, right, right. Okay, so great story, really, about like getting into the world of medicine and, and how you were interested in that. So what was your training then? Um, you know, where did you start? Yeah, so I uh, I went to um, did undergrad and uh, I studied biology. I wasn't really ever sure that I was going to be a doctor. I just knew I wanted to help people, and I I knew I like science. So I thought, well, you know, I'll try. I'll take the MCAT. You know, that's a test to get into medical school. I'll take I'll take it. I'll see how I do. You know, and if not, maybe I'll be a nurse or a physician assistant or something else. So did well enough to get into medical school. So I went to Ohio University and um, studied medicine there. And then I did a family practice residency in Columbus, and that's a three-year program. And then I started practicing. And I've only, I actually only ever had one job uh, outside of school until I switched gears to functional medicine. So I had um, 15 years in a family practice in mm -hmm. Canal Winchester, a, t a small town outside of Columbus. Yeah. in Ohio and just love the the experience there and getting to know my patients really well over the years and and making some really really deep relationships so well I can confirm that because you've had a lot of people follow you to your functional medicine practice and you know when I work with them you know they're there because of you they really are I'm not sure that some of them would have even you know thought about functional medicine if it wasn't for you um, so that's a really powerful statement. Um, so then, you know, you're kind of going through your private practice or your, your family care practice. And, you know, when did the wheels start clicking around um, any kind of shift or how did you feel about conventional medicine um, throughout that time practicing? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I didn't like the time constraints of my job, the, you know, the pace having to go very quickly. I wanted to talk a lot more with mm -hmm. people and kind of delve into things um, so that I, I always had a little disconnect with how fast I had to go and yeah. the lack of time I got to spend. But then I honestly, I had no idea about functional medicine for the longest time. Um, and then I got a flyer in the mail. Uh, it, there was a training or like a one day um, course about functional medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine with Dr. Hyman. Mm -hmm. And so I, that, I was like, what is that? What's functional medicine? You know, and it happened to be just, you know, a couple days later, I read an article I found in, in a magazine that comes to me from my gym that was written by Dr. Hyman mm -hmm. about doing an elimination diet to help reduce inflammation. And so it was kind of like, I think the, the universe was talking to me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I, yeah. I read his article about, you know, food contributing to inflammation. And I was like, what? you know, what, seriously, like what I'm eating makes a difference. And, and now when I look back at that, I'm just like dumbfounded that I did, I didn't know that or, or think about that sooner because, you know, so since age 10, I had been on medication to control my rheumatoid arthritis and through the years, lots of different things, lots of injections, lots of, you know, heavy duty immunosuppressant type medications. Mm -hmm. And it, they worked fairly well. So, I mean, I was pretty functional, but um, when I figured, when I read this article by Dr. Hyman, I said, well, I've got to try this, you know? So, so I did an elimination diet and it just changed my life. Um, you know, at the end of the elimination diet, by, by the end, I was feeling so good. I was able to stop one of my medications completely that I was injecting myself with every week. And then a couple, you know, and, and then I were, you know, with the help of my rheumatologist, I was actually able to um, cut the other one, the dosing in half. So yeah. quite powerful. And then all of a sudden my eyes were just like wide open. Like, what is this? What is wow. going on? And truthfully, at that point, I had been taking medications for 30 years or so for, yeah. for my rheumatoid arthritis. Right. And I had been to medical school and no, I had no knowledge that food could trigger inflammation. Isn't you know? that so amazing? It is, I, you know. it is, blows my mind. It really yeah. does. Yeah. So, I mean, being on the other side of it, I'm like, well, how did I not know? But at the time, you know, in medical school, mm -hmm. my training in nutrition was, I think we had a day. One day. day. Holy moly. Yes. I thought it was, it was maybe two weeks. <laughs> it might be more like that now, but at the time I was there, it was a day. I believe it was one day. And a lot of it was focused on complete deficiencies of, of various things. Sure. So like scurvy and rickets, things we oh don't ever God. see. Wow. Not the nuances of, you know, a milder deficiency. And so, you know, just now knowing the power of food, you know, it's just, it's really opened my eyes. So you know, figuring out that I was able to, you know, I had some input into this disease mm -hmm. and I was able to reverse it, um, to, you know, on, on my own was just, I, then I had to start making some changes, you know? Right. So you I started digging. Yes. Yes. So I went to that, the little course that Dr. Hyman had at the Cleveland clinic and I, then I was like, okay, I got to, this is, you know, all kinds of like, you know, things were clicking in my brain and, and it just seemed so intuitive. It seemed so, you know, like it just sat with me like perfectly. It, it resonated. It was just, this is, this is it. This is what medicine's supposed to be. 
you know, at least in my mind. And so um, I started doing more training and I went through the Institute for Functional Medicine. They have several different courses you go through. And then at the end, I did a certification exam. So now I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner through the IFM. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then I, I started trying to incorporate it into my family practice. Mm-hmm. And I started trying to educate more. I was doing lots of handouts because I still was only had 15 minutes with a patient. So not oh, much time, yeah. lots of handouts, lots of, Hey, think about this. You know, every, all my patient rooms while they were waiting for me, I had lots of things hanging on a bulletin board, different educational things to look at. Yeah. And, you know, eventually I said, you know, I really need to do this, I, you know, full time. I need to, get away from just pushing medication at people and really helping them um, find their root cause. Um, So it was a hard change. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. First of all, Dr. Hyman is definitely um, an evangelist for functional medicine and, and so many people find functional medicine through him. And I, so that for that, I'm super grateful that he's out there doing that. Um, But when you said, you know, uh, the one day of education, it was things about scurvy and, and rickets and things like we haven't seen in years. And how often are people even getting that? And, and, I, right. and it was far, you know, like you were in medical school a while ago, but not that long ago. And that stuff wasn't right. unknown, right? This stuff is yes. not unknown. Yes. It's not extremely new information. I mean, some of it is about gut microbiome maybe, but, but then also saying that that you could have some input into your rheumatoid arthritis like that empowered you to realize i have some control here i don't just have to take medications and hope for the best right oh yes that that was amazing to to know there was something else i could be doing yeah and um, i think that yeah and i Go ahead. I think that's why a lot of people seek out functional medicine too, right? When, when I always ask, so how did you find functional medicine? What was your journey here? And it's, it's people that, that realize, wow, I could be doing so much more than what my conventional medicine um, you know, mm-hmm. team of doctors is providing for me. Not that that isn't right. good. I mean, it's, it's a combination right. of that. And like that's I, really great. Yes. Like I said, I, I've, I have great experiences with all my, my physicians, you know, I, I've had close relationships. I feel, you know, they're, they're good people. They just don't know. And yeah. that, that's where I was, Right. you know, I, I was doing the exact same thing. I just didn't know. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't blame anyone in conventional medicine. It, it's just, um, you know, until you learn it, you don't, you don't know how to do it. So, Absolutely. um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you see a shift in your physicians, your rheumatologist and the people that you worked with once you started doing functional medicine? What was their attitude? Because I know a lot of people have concerns about going to functional medicine and then partnering with their primary care or conventional medicine physicians if they have sort of a different outlook on medicine and what can be done. Right. Yeah. So my, it, it, it's kind of hard. It's, it's a little bit, and I feel this in my patients too, you know, you're a little shy about telling your, your doctor, Hey, I'm working with a functional medicine provider, or I've been, I've been reading this. What do you think? You know? And so the first time I remember I went to my rheumatologist and I told her that I changed my diet and you know, how well I was doing. And she was helping me reduce my medications. She luckily, she has a pretty open mind. 
Good. But I think a lot of times, you know, what I've heard from other patients is, that, you know, if somebody's suddenly doing much better after making a diet change, oh, that was spontaneous remission, right? They're right. <laughs> different things along these lines. So yeah, um, but it's hard. It's scary to kind of put yourself out there. And, you know, I was in a practice with several other physicians. Mm. And so I had to tell them what I was doing and, yeah. you know, wonder what kind of thoughts they're having in their head about, you know, my change. And it's interesting because now actually just last night, one of my previous coworkers was texting me about how she's, you know, doing yoga now and uh you know she's given up gluten and she's feeling really well so it's i i think some of them have been open to it and i've actually had an impact in helping their lives so it's, it's it leaks fun. in a little bit i think um as you were saying that i remember another physician i was talking to who was sort of doing the same thing working in a practice and going to do her training sort of under the radar and telling people, you know, I'm just going on vacation and going out and doing integrative medicine training. And it's sort of like Amway, not that I want to, you know, but yeah. like people <laughs> don't want to actually say I'm selling Amway. Right. Uh, but yeah. functional medicine is getting a better um, sort of representation in terms of, uh, you know, evidence-based information around what we're doing. It's always hard with nutrition, but there's a lot of evidence-based information around lifestyle. So I think that's one of the things that our, our patients look for too, is they often ask, do you know functional medicine phys physicians that are friend, or do you know primary care physicians that are functional medicine friendly? And that's mm -hmm. an important thing I think right. to find, to, to bridge that gap. Um, and I think mm -hmm. in any physician, if you're not open to at least considering or, or allowing your patients to do some alternative treatment that is not crazy, right? We're doing, we're talking right, about nutrition, right. yoga, stress management. We're not talking crazy stuff. Then maybe that physician is somebody that's not quite right for you. Exactly. I just had a patient yesterday who told me that her, um, her specialist for her osteoporosis, that she, he was recommending a, a drug that she was quite nervous about taking because there was a lot of side effects and a black box warning. And, right. and I said, well, maybe, you know, you'll have to think about that. And if you want to take that or not. And she said, well, if I don't take it, he's not, he said he won't be my doctor. Oh. And I said, oh, you know, like, let's think about that for a minute. Maybe he shouldn't be your, you know, like there should right. be a give and take and there should be discussion. And it's not like what the doctor says is what, what goes, there has to be a, a relationship there so that everyone feels, you know, heard. And so I, that made me feel very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're a, a very different type of physician. And I can say because I've worked in healthcare for, I mean, over 25 years in conventional healthcare and then functional medicine. And, and I think the way that you relate to people and the openness that you have is really, it's unique. I know other physicians that do it, but on the whole, I think sometimes it's really challenging for physicians to be that open. Um, it, it sort of, you know, speaks to the core of, of what they know and believe. Um, but you're right. I think that's a conversation to have, right? Patients really need right. to have that conversation and think about, is my doctor open enough to allow me to do this? And if not, then maybe another physician is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. that's, that's an exciting journey for you. And um, so kind of moving into functional medicine, as you started your practice, which was definitely challenging. I mean, it's, there's a lot to think about and there's a lot of support out there, but it's also kind of the wild west in, in a lot of ways. Um, 
-hmm. as you started to move into the practice, like you saw people who came to you, um, and it seems like now you've kind of developed um, a bit of an interest in adrenal and stress reduction um, and how that physiologically affects the body and, um, you know, presents as symptoms and sometimes really is the layering effect of some of the diagnoses people have. So how did you come to that place um, from the beginning of your practice? Yeah, um, I would say that I, what I have come to learn in, in practicing functional medicine now is that it's, if someone's stress level is extremely high, you know, I can give supplements all day long and nothing's going to change, right? Yeah. That the, that fight or flight being stuck in some, you know, that, that flight or fight, uh, you know, the, the sympathetic response mm-hmm. is so damaging to the body, you know, to the gut, to, you know, the hormones, all of it. And so it's just, it's in my mind, if that's not in, you know, if the stress response isn't in in check, if it's not balanced properly, I'm going to have a real hard time fixing anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, that so you real, yeah, you realize like that's kind of an underlying factor to um, everything else that you're seeing. So let's, let's step back mm-hmm. a little bit and maybe for the people that don't understand parasympathetic, sympathetic, autonomic nervous system, the amygdala, talk a little bit about that. The, you know, the, the mechanism within our body that um, responds to stress. Sure. Yeah. So we have an autonomic or a kind of an automatic nervous system in our body. And it's, it's helping control blood pressure and heart rate and our breathing and all of that sort of stuff. And there are two sides to that. And one is the sympathetic. And I think people can, you know, relate to that fight or flight idea. You know, if, if you're driving and you are just about to have a car accident, but you slam on the brakes, you know, that feeling of the adrenaline running, that's the sympathetic system kind of trying to protect you. It's, it's your um, survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of that is the parasympathetic and that is the, we call it the rest and digest. So that's the, the opposite. That's the, everything slows down. We're relaxed. We're, you know, just in a very calm place. And there's, there's a balance that needs to happen. So we do need the sympathetic side of things. We need it if we're, you know, in a dark alley and someone's behind us, right? Or whatever the case may be, we, our ancestors needed it to, you know, run from a saber toothed tiger. But at the end of that, they got away from the tiger or or whatever the case may be, you know, and then that system is supposed to shut off and, and turn, you know, switch over to the parasympathetic side. Yeah. And so that we can heal, we can, you know, um, digest and, and, and repair and all of that good stuff. And so um, what I have seen just drastically in, in, you know, my practice so far is that so many of us are stuck so much more in the sympathetic mode. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be a very short-lived survival type thing. And when we get stuck there, then we start to create chronic health diseases and illnesses. Mm. Yeah. Do, do most people know that they're stuck there? I mean, how do they, how do you know? I mean. Yeah, I, a lot. I mean, I think uh, it depends. There's a good portion. I think especially some women can tell you that they're stressed. Yeah. You know, they feel it, they, they know it, they, you know, they know their pace is too fast, their life is too busy, but they, they're on like the hamster wheel and there's no, no way to get off. They, and they then I would say no there is a, right, right. That they, yes, they don't see a way off. Um, but then there's a good portion of people that I have to really 
uh, try to tease it out and, and try to illuminate them to the idea that, hey, you know, when, when you're, uh, you know, your stomach is feeling a little queasy, you know, before that big meeting, maybe that's a stress response, you know, and you're great at that too, Karen, at trying to help people see the, uh, you know, the, the stress that's underlying. And, and I think a lot of it has just been there for so long. Mm-hmm. That they have, they, that it's normal, right? They think it's normal. Yes. This is how I am. And yes. this is what I'm supposed to feel like. So it's, um, it's really helpful to, you know, the first step is just an awareness yeah. of your stress. Yeah. And then we can start to look at how do we unwind it? But the, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, we do a lot of trying to point that out to people. And sometimes it's with, with lab tests, yeah. you know, if yeah. they can't see it otherwise, that's sometimes the, you know, if you get a, a uh, report that shows that, then people tend to listen a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would agree that that's um, one of the things that people diminish or they habituate to and don't realize that, you know, what they're experiencing is a stress response or an anxiety response. And I can say from my own personal experience, like I remember years ago when I would sit down and the house was quiet and I knew I had things to do and I'd just kind of sit because I never sat, I'd get these butterflies in my stomach. And literally I would think to myself, wow, I wonder what that is. I don't know what that is. Never thinking that I would be somebody that I would say, oh, you have anxiety. I would have never thought that about myself ever, ever. But I came to realize, wow, okay, that's what that is. And why do I have to go, go, go so much? And true to what you said, it's important to really help people see that. And sometimes it's in their language. It's, this is just the person I am. This is just what I do. I just go, and some people have really rapid language of speech. And you go, mm-hmm. okay, why is it so rapid? Like, whew, take a breath, slow it down. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, but I'm also very interested in helping people understand what are some of those physiological markers that you see in the lab work or the stool testing or the urine testing that we do um, that that really quantify that stress response. What what is that about? Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I would say the most obvious one is the I do a salivary cortisol test. Mm-hmm. And so there's uh, four different times during the day when we collect a, a salivary sample and we look at the cortisol and we can see the rhythm or the pattern of the cortisol um, that's released throughout the day. And that's important. Um, and then we can also see just, is there a lot of cortisol? Is it, has it kind of fallen? Um, and, and that helps me to know where that person is in a chronic stress response. So the and- first thing that we'll see with that is that, you know, somebody's been in the chronic um, fight or flight type state for a while is the cortisol goes up. Cortisol is our stress hormone and it's made by the adrenal gland and that goes up and that gives us a feeling of sort of being wired. You know, it's that hyper state where you have a lot of energy, but it's not a good feeling of energy, you know, like maybe you drank too much Starbucks or something. (laughs) Um, so that, and that's kind of, yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing that that's the first um, sort of response of the of the body to chronic stress. And then over time, if somebody st- gets stuck in that position for a long period of time, then the cortisol just starts to peter out, you know, the adrenal gland can't keep up, and it starts to fall. And, you know, when the cortisol goes too low, it's really hard to get out of bed, 
where you're exhausted, you know, um, really hard to motivate to do anything. And so, so I, the test that I run will help me to see that where you are and, you know, in that situation. And then, um, that really helps to set up some, uh, programs to, to help reverse that. Yeah. That's always a question that people have when they get their cortisol, um, testing results back. Why is my cortisol so low? I thought this was a stress hormone. If I'm stressed, why is it low? Um, but that's a great explanation for it. And people always, they also ask, um, you know, if I have different times during the day where my cortisol level is high or low and I'm doing this test, um, you know, I, do I do it on a normal stress day? Do I wait till I'm calm? You know, ha- we always say a normal stress day, whatever that is for mm-hmm. you, right? Right. Um, but how would it be different if somebody actually had like a really relaxed day they weren't going to work their kids were like at grandma's house for a couple of days they had no activities to do they could just kind of relax and lounge around would it change in even a day or two of doing you know a cortisol test on that yeah um good question it might look a little different but the the big underlying picture is probably still going to be the same yeah. And one other piece of the, the puzzle is that we, when we look at cortisol, we also look at DHEA mm-hmm. and that's a telltale um, that DHEA is another hormone that kind of balances with cortisol and that's not going to fluctuate, you know, day to day nearly so much. So that's it. We can see if the cortisol is fairly low that that, per, or I'm sorry, if the DHEA is fairly low, that, that that stress response has been going on for a while. But yeah, we do like to see on your busy day, you know, your normal work day, that's really the best time to test. So we can see what you're dealing with on those days. That's great. There's other markers too, outside of the cortisol, right? Um, when you do some other testing, what are some other markers that indicate that stress is probably a component of whatever somebody's experiencing? Yeah, I would say one of the biggest correlations I see between the cortisol test and this is and the stool test is the um, there's a, something we measure called secretory IgA, mm-hmm. and that is an immune marker, and it kind of tells me about how much how your immune system or your immune cells are doing in your gut. And when we have chronic stress, it tends to really deplete our immune response. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that concept of, you know, you, you take the big test and then you get sick afterwards because, you know, you stressed right. yourself out. So, yeah, so very commonly when I see an abnormal adrenal test, I also see a very low secretory IgA on the stool test. Mm-hmm. And so that the immune system is down. And then the other thing, I, I often will do an organic acids test. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'll see some changes in the neurotransmitters there. Specifically, there's a, one of the neurotransmitters tested for is adrenaline, mm-hmm. um, you know, epinephrine. And that's, that um, will show up generally as, as abnormal when there's an adrenal problem. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's so exciting, truly, to be able to quantify that, especially for somebody who doesn't feel like they have that level of stress in their life. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes my work is, is about convincing people they have stress (laughs) or at least, at least acknowledging it or not diminishing it. But that is so helpful when those results come back to be able to say, look here, here are a couple of markers that your, your body is telling you right now that this Mm -hmm. is, you know, part of the stress response for you. And it's, it's showing up physiologically and this can 
really contribute to other things in your life. So, right, um, because right. I think, yeah. you know, in conventional medicine, often if, if they can't find a diagnosis for something, they'll, they'll say, well, you must be stressed out or you should go see your psychologist or psychiatrist and get some meds. And that's not really, um, you know, the best choice for most people. Um, it is sometimes a choice that people have to make for a short period of time. But, but tell me a little bit more too about where do you go from there? What, what, what is your, your pathway after that? Sure. Well, you know, lifestyle is just huge. So there's a lot that can be done from the lifestyle standpoint. And I think people discount that also, you know, I think that if it's not a pill or a shot or, you know, doesn't cost a lot of money, then they think there's no power in it. And I, that, so that's another hard sell. And I know you see the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the power of some deep breathing or meditation or yoga slowing down, Mm -hmm. you know, those, those things are just huge. So one thing I will do, um, and this is easier when there's an abnormality on the test, but a lot of times, I think just yesterday or a couple of days ago, I had someone who had a, a real jump in their cortisol at the dinnertime hour, mm. you know, much higher than the whole rest of the day. Mm. And so we talked about, okay, what's happening at that time? And is there any way that you can, you know, prepare for that a little bit and then maybe sit for a few minutes and breathe or, you know, like, can your husband get dinner on while you go lay down in the bathtub for a few minutes, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. just trying to, to break that cycle. Cause you know, that's a busy time for a lot of um, households. Yeah. You know, you're transitioning from work, the kids are running around. It's time, almost time to eat. You have to make dinner, you know, so it's yeah. a lot, it's a lot of people's cortisol tends to pop up there, <laughs> but you know, so there's lifestyle things that you can do. Yeah if you'll take the time to implement them, that it can really help. Um, And then there are just, there's a lot of, um, from a supplement standpoint, I really work with um, patients, depending on the abnormality, there are different, you know, supplements that we use to lower cortisol. Mm -hmm. um, Or, you know, if the cortisol is very low, there are supplements to help raise it. And then also just to reset the response, the um, feedback cycle Mm -hmm. of the, the brain from being stuck in that, that, fight or flight mode, I can kind of, we can reset that using um, different supplements as well. Um, and then, you know, a lot, uh, I would guess maybe some of the listeners have heard of something called adaptogenic herbs. Mm-hmm. And that's a mm-hmm. really great, those, so adaptogenic herbs are, um, a, you know, there's things like ashwagandha and rhodiola and these types of things. And what they do is they sort of buffer this oncoming stress. They allow your body to have a little bit more resiliency. And they tend to work in, they, they modulate our stress response, which is mm-hmm. great because instead of just dampening it or right. raising it, you know, they, they kind of find whatever your need is and they support that. So yeah, those are, those are another great option for, for helping with the stress response. Yeah. I think adaptogens are pretty amazing. I think, um, you know, some of the mushrooms too, there's some mushroom type things that are um, sort of adaptogenic as well that, that, you know, the, the mushroom drinks and, and powders and things like that, that are really interesting. That's kind of a whole nother area. Um, but I, yeah. you're so exactly right in terms of like helping people understand that, that there are so many lifestyle things that you can do. And I find the biggest challenge is really that shift from the mindset shift of, 
um, I'm going, 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 going. I've got to get things done. Um, and if I don't do that, then I'm not the best mom. I'm not productive. I'm not the best wife. I'm not, you know, doing the things that I'm expected or supposed to do. And yes. even slowing down, like you said, slow down. Like so often when people are, you know, exercising, I'll, I'll ask them, okay, what do you use for stress relief? And it's exercise. And, you know, I'm always helping them understand, okay, exercise is great. It certainly can burn off that feeling of anxiety, yet it does raise your cortisol levels. And what do you balance that with? I think balance is such a huge piece, which is why your, you know, your functional medicine practice is called balanced living. That's right. That's right. And, you know, something we can all strive for, we, we never really get to perfect balance. Something always comes up, but to, to just keep, you know, getting back on track when things, things, uh, you know, go off the rails a little bit, but yes, that's exactly right. The, you know, um, a, uh, orange theory workout or, you know, a hit workout is not necessarily a stress reducer, you know, it yeah. might feel good, right. but we often, we need to slow down. Exactly. Just like you said, um, you know, people feel guilty about it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it's, it's not built into our day, especially in America and with all the devices and we can be connected 24 seven, you can be productive all the time. So people feel like they should, but our bodies really are intended to have long periods of rest, you know, where we are, um, sleep is one, one aspect of that. Right. And then just stopping to, to sit and, and do nothing productive yeah. for a little yeah. while. You know? That is so, so hard. And I know I've fought through that. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm super active and had always been super active. And when I realized this whole, like, you got to slow down, you've got to, I mean, I had a, a, you know, my mother passed away and that was really probably the thing that, that got me to stop even more. Um, and realized that I needed um, to just kind of slow down. And sadly, after she left, that was when I, because she always said that. And I was always like, well, you know, and I had a good friend who was a therapist who said, you know, someday you won't need to like fill your life with all these things. And I'm like, I like these things. But I realized too, though, that I was. And, and that's the big challenge, I think, for a lot of people is how do you start to shift your belief in who you are and what you're able to do and know that even if you slow down, you can still be, you can actually be more efficient and you yes, can actually yes. be better at life if you slow down yes. a little bit and you take that time and you're better for your kids and you're better for your husband and you're better for your coworkers. It's such a hard, hard shift, even physically, just to kind of, if you sit there mm -hmm. and not feel like, oh, I got to be up doing 10 things because that's, you know, right. I've got 10 minutes. That's the big shift I think is so incredibly hard for people, but we've got tools that we help people learn that, that mindset shift in the moment. And like you said, you can change things. You can always start back at square one. Every moment is a time to start back at square one, even if you've fallen off a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah one of my um, favorite books on meditation is called stress less accomplish more. Yeah. And it, it is about slowing down to actually be more productive. So right. yeah, those, those times when you slow down and you, you know, you give your body a break, you can actually do more when you come back at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. It's very powerful. I think one of the other things is people have a hard time. Like if you haven't slowed down or, or before and you're trying it, 
you know, maybe they're like, you start to have thoughts that you, you know, like you're sitting with thoughts that weren't, you didn't have to pay attention to before because you were busy and, you know, and are you okay to just be by yourself and be quiet? And and so it, it brings up a lot of stuff, you know, Um, but yes, so, so helpful. And I, I always tell my patients to listen to your body, Mm -hmm. you know, so if you feel tired, like instead of having coffee, you know, take a rest, you know, or, um, you know, like, so, so trying to not just push through, we're not robots, you know, the, the body is so, is so intelligent and you have to respect it or it's going to show you, you know, it's going to slow you down. Something's going to pop up to say, yeah, yeah. yeah." And that's often what these symptoms that, that people come to see me are they're the body talking to you saying, Hey, you're not listening to my, my subtle signals. So I'm going to throw something a little bigger at you. <laughs> Damn, here it comes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, like often I'll talk to people about, you know, the best times to really meditate the optimal times. Like if you can do it anytime, that's great. But optimal first thing in the morning to set sort of an intention for your day, but also that transition time around whatever time it is mm-hmm. where a lot of us are working from home now. Um, but even then, it's so much more important to transition from that work situation into the family situation by taking five or 10 minutes to do breath work or meditation or just sit mm-hmm. in a contemplative practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other yeah. thing that you mentioned about that it becomes difficult because these thoughts start coming up and it's we don't want to sit with our thoughts that often. And sometimes just letting them float away doesn't really work. But if that's the hard work. And the other idea that it takes time, like functional medicine is not a quick fix, right? Mm-hmm. So you work yes. through these things over six months, nine months, sometimes 12 months, mm-hmm. but it's a practice right. that I know you um, support in, in, with a lot of, of um, you know, contact with your patients to help them understand like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a process. Um, take it slowly, but it will be the best thing for you in the end. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. We need to, to be there along the way. Um, you know, because we do fall off track a little bit, we need to help people course correct, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, this is not a, it's not a quick fix. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if, if that's what someone wants, they're in the wrong place, but it is going to just affect all aspects of your life in a, in a more positive way. You know, I think both you and I have had a lot of experience with patients making, you know, they start down this functional medicine path and then suddenly they're having career change ideas, right? Like maybe my career's not exactly what's, what it should be. It's not really fulfilling me. What, maybe I'll look into doing something else or, you know, some, some big life stuff happens when you start to make these shifts. Oh, it definitely does. That's a really good point that, that people start to look at their lives differently and start to think, how can I incorporate this into my life more and really make the shift and surround myself with, with people and experiences that really support this idea of living in a more holistic way and paying attention to my health and my stress and, you know, turning the TV off and not getting into, um, you know, conversations or, or group activities with, with things that, that suck the energy out of you. Right. So you do start mm-hmm, shifting right. so many things in your life. It's, it's really amazing. You don't have to um, necessarily if where you are is good. Right. It, right. it does bring sure. this on organically. Um, mm-hmm, people start to mm-hmm. shift a lot in their minds. So as we kind of think about 
all that we've talked about in terms of, um, you know, the adrenals and stress and some of the lifestyle tools and supplements and testing. I mean, this is a, a, a really, we cast a wide net in functional medicine. Um, you know, we look at a lot of different lifestyle pieces. We also look at the spirituality piece of it, as well as a sense of purpose in your life. Um, can you talk yes. about some of that and, and how you interact with patients on that as it relates to stress and the adrenal function? Sure. I, yeah, I would say that a lot of patients, you know, we, they can use if they have a religious practice, you know, that's, that can be a real outlet for letting go of stress, mm -hmm. you know, whatever their, their belief in a higher power, if they have one, you know, is that's a very powerful way to, you know, let somebody a little stronger than you take over for a little bit. Right. Um, and, and prayer and, and all of that can be very, very powerful. Um, and then, you know, meditation, um, you know, whatever, whatever practice that they, um, can really, kind of connect with that makes mm -hmm. them, you know, feel more connected to, to, um, their creator, whatever, whatever their belief system is, um, is very, very powerful. And, and then their purpose, you said, you mentioned, you know, why do they want to get better? You know, what, what are these symptoms holding them back from? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, a lot, I hear a lot of times, like I, I yell at my kids too much, or, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not as good of a mama as I, I want to be, or, you know, I, I could be doing so much more with work, but I'm, I'm, that I'm not able to do or, but mostly it's not, you know, it's usually the bigger stuff like family wanting yeah. to connect with people Mm -hmm. um, wanting to make a difference in the world. And yeah. often if, you know, if you're really tired or you have some chronic illness, it's going to slow you down from, from doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think part of that, that spirituality piece is something that, that people don't always think of as it relates to their health. Um, mm -hmm. but, and I start out talking about spirituality saying, Hey, it can be like, if you want to take a walk in the woods and you feel that's a spiritual experience for you, you're connecting to something that's, that's just bigger and grander and deeper than you. Mm -hmm. um, and that mm -hmm. always brings sort of this calmness, right? And I think about yes. you know, yes. the world we're living in right now, which is incredibly stressful. Even if you're not engaging in it, there's an energy of stress around us mm -hmm. that we, mm -hmm. we sort of um, take on without even knowing. Um, again, yes. based on the people that maybe you're surrounding yourself with or the the news that you might be watching um, and, and just, you know, the, the limitations in our life right now. I mean, it's yes. November now as we record this and this is, um, you know, we're, we're sort of deep in kind of rising numbers of COVID and that's, that's a, a mm -hmm. stressful um, sort of experience for most people. Um, but tell me how, how that has shifted your practice. Um, what has the the experience of the COVID and precautions and all of that, how has that shifted your practice? Sure. Yeah. And I do think, you know, that's probably had an impact on the fact that I am seeing so much stress. I know there was, there was plenty of stress before COVID, but it's, yeah. it's come to a new level now. Um, yeah. So I think that's really heightened my awareness of stress and its effect on the body. But uh, you know, mostly I've, I've tried to, kind of have a hybrid of, of, you know, if somebody wants to come in, I'll come into the office certain days and we'll sit far apart and we'll wear our masks and all that stuff. Um, or if you want to be virtual, I've, we've done lots through Zoom. 
-hmm. And that's really worked out very well. I think uh, people have really loved not having to drive across town. You know, I have patients that are coming from fairly far away and uh, you know, I have other patients that just enjoy being in their pajamas when they see me, you know, and not having to get, get all dressed up. So uh, that's worked out very, very well. So I'm actually transitioning to a completely virtual practice because, you know, being in two different offices, it's, it's sort of uh, you know, it's, it's harder to be focused when I'm bouncing back and forth and the scheduling gets a little bit harder. So, um, so I'm going to switch to a completely virtual practice and, um, I think that's going to help me to serve people better. And it's, it's nice to have someone, um, to see someone in their element, you know, in their own space, uh, kind of get an understanding of where they are and and what their life looks like a little bit better. So I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah, that is great. And, and also, you know, if people don't have, they can go and grab their supplement and say, Hey, this is what I'm taking. I forgot to put it in the bag. It's right here in my kitchen. Yeah. Yes. No, I think the, I think the virtual practice and, and, you know, with me, ever since I, I started my private practice, it's been virtual, which has actually been a really exciting thing to do. And I, I do think that you really still connect with people in, in, a, in a way that is surprising virtually mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. on Zoom. You can still really connect with people. Um, so it's, it's exciting to kind of see that that's an opportunity that you didn't really think would be possible before. It would have never right. come to your yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. No. And I agree that there is, there is a definite connection over Zoom. You can definitely still feel that if you, you know, even yeah. With, yeah. without being in person. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the practice really for you, um, you know, people come in, they do um, a virtual visit with me. They do a virtual visit with you. Um, there's some testing. There's um, a lot of the lifestyle things you create a plan with people, right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of a partnership. Um, talk right, a little bit right. about how that is, um, you know, part of your your work with your sure. Partners. Yeah. So at the first visit, a lot of the plan that we create is just around some the lifestyle stuff because we haven't done the testing yet. So, um, you know, a lot of that is just as we're talking through. I'll I'll be you know kind of asking a little bit about what are you eating? And, you know, how are you sleeping? And what does that look like? And, and we'll talk through it. And then I might at that time be able to point out, well, you know, we're, we're really working on fatigue here. So what do you think if we move your bedtime back from midnight, you know, can we shift a little bit? So we make goals and I say, you know, how far is it reasonable for me to ask you to, to move your bedtime at this point? You know, and so we, we set a new goal and, you know, I've educated them on why that's important. And so, um, so yeah, we just talk through the different areas, um, but diet is a big one, uh, you know, what, what they're eating currently. And then I can educate on why some of the food choices they're making might be in causing inflammation or triggering some problems for them and then help, uh, you know, choose a new, a, a new food plan to kind of follow forward. Um, and, and so we sort of just march through the different lifestyle situations like that. Yeah. Yeah. And people that come to you really under most of them understand functional medicine from some perspective and realize that it's going to be a a shift in lifestyle because, um, you know, the intake forms that you do as well, ask for your readiness. How willing are you to write supplements, write down what you're eating, shift your lifestyle, practice a relaxation Mm -hmm. technique. And, you know, 
I review that too. And so sort of when we see like something on a number two instead of a five, I'll say, well, so what's behind that? And so, and that's part of it too. It's like, we really help people kind of move forward at their pace, at at a Mm -hmm. pace that's comfortable for them, shifting them a little bit, but also knowing, you know, okay, we can't push people too much because that's not going to work either. Um, Right. Yes. You know, it's a collaboration and and I love that about functional medicine. Right. Yes. No, I agree. If, um, you know, we just try to meet them where they are and I ask them, I I always tell people, you know, I'm here to push you out of your comfort zone a little bit, you know, not so far that you run for the hills, but, but a little bit, we're going to stir things up a bit and, you know, see what you can handle. And so, yes, it is definitely a partnership. And then when we meet to discuss the lab results, there's a partnership there as well as I'm creating a supplement plan. Uh, you know, it's, it's also about, can you take supplements three times a day or, or, you know, you have a lot of things going on. Let's prioritize so that we let's start here and start with this. And then maybe later we'll, we'll tackle this next issue. So you don't have so many supplements to take right off the bat. Yeah. 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 One of the other things that popped up in my mind, um, I wanted to kind of shift back to just, just briefly to think about what, what you like you've talked about some of the testing and what you find in the gut microbiome that can indicate some of the stressors but can you talk a little bit about a little bit about the mechanism of how the gut microbiome shifts based on stress what is it that actually happens in the gut based on stress sure yes yeah, stress is a, a huge driver for leaky gut Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I the leak. So leaky gut is sort of like you know this idea of the cells in our intestine are you know a barrier from the outside world, the food coming in, um, you know, which can contain infectious you know agents and things like that. As we the food passes by, we have this barrier um, between the food and our bloodstream, and that's the cells that line the gut. And when the barrier, the screen is really intact and healthy, then, you know, everything goes smoothly. When we have chronic stress, that screen door gets, gets holes punched in it. You know, the cells break down, there's big holes, it, you know, it becomes a leaky gut. And at that point, food particles start to leak in, um, you know, that haven't been fully digested. The immune system gets kicked up by different infections. And we've got just rampant inflammation mm-hmm. can cause all kinds of under, underlying issues. So um, that and that's the other piece kind of circling back to the beginning. What what made me so interested in treating stress is the leaky gut is really not going to heal if we have continued chronic stress. Mm -hmm. So we need to to look at that and and help remove that as as a way to heal and repair the screen door to keep the, what's supposed to be out, out and only allow the good stuff in. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's a a great explanation around that. I think Um, just again, helping people connect the physiological correlates to the stressors that are um, surrounding our lives. Um, so we've, we've kind of talked about the idea of, of supplements, testing, um, you know, the leaky gut piece of it. We've talked about some lifestyle tools, breath practice, meditation, contemplative practice. Um, are there other modalities, um, things like that you ever recommend um, that you might go to another practitioner for to kind of reduce stress? Mm. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think massage is wonderful. 
Um, so, you know, I, I would often recommend patients to, to get a massage if that's something that they can afford to do. Acupuncture and energy work, very, very helpful. Um, help to get some of those blockages, you know, moving places where we're stuck. Um, that can be so powerful. Um, and, you know, I think those are probably the biggest ones. Some, a lot of my patients see a chiropractor. And like to have adjustments and, and get things kind of lined up there. So that can be helpful. But, but the biggest, I would say, you know, massage and acupuncture are probably the two that um, yeah. most of my patients find some benefit from. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and for people who have even more like stress from childhood that may be unresolved, that kind of stuff that sits in our bodies that we don't even yes, yes. present, what are some of the recommendations yes. around that? Yeah, that's, that's a, a huge topic right there. Um, yeah, so I have a lot of, yeah, right. Um, a lot of chronic illness can stem from, um, you know, traumas that we've had, whether childhood or, or later in adult life and, um, and the effects on the body. So working through that with a counselor, someone who has some training to help you heal from that is very, very important. And that's another place where I think both you and I have to shine some light for people to say, hey, you might not feel like this is, is a real problem. And I know you don't think about it because you've kind of stuffed it down and, and you know locked it away in a closet somewhere in your mind, but that is still having an effect. And so, um, you know, looking into that with a therapist is, is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the books I sometimes refer people to is the body keeps the score, um, which I always preface it by saying, you know, hang on. Cause in the beginning it talks a lot about all the, the rough things that happen in your life and potentially what can happen physiologically, but, but there's a way to release that energy. And so mm -hmm. just hang on, but understand that it does affect your body and, you know, releasing that energy and clearing up some of the things and, and making peace with it, frankly, and, and sort of figuring out how to live with that, not necessarily it's going to go completely away. Um, but mm -hmm. I think that's such a powerful thing. And we've, we've often referred people to like, um, you know, um, uh, psychotherapists that are, um, holistic holistic practitioners mm -hmm. that do other things mm -hmm. like incorporating meditation and but i think the acupuncture yes. piece is also a, a great idea for people um just kind of different modalities that people can utilize mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. nice wow yeah Wait, and then go ahead yeah yeah well i was going to mention the um prior to that last question but you had asked about modalities heart math is the oh. other uh, you know, the heart math device. So um, there's a uh, electronic device and you can probably explain it better than I can, Karen, but it plugs into your phone and then the other end clips onto your earlobe and it measures your heart rate variability. And we want to have a lot of variability between beats uh, on our heart. Uh, when our heart's beating, it shouldn't be like a metronome and exactly the same. It should be variable. And that's a sign of um, how our autonomic nervous system is working. So yeah. you can get this little device and hook it up to your phone and it can sort of show you how your heart rate variability is and then sort of talks you through some breathing techniques mm -hmm. to really try to get into what they call coherence and that's when your heart rate is 
variability is, is higher and it shows up, you get a little green light, you know, that shows you you're doing the right thing. So it's a, it's a type of biofeedback really that you can teach yourself how to get out of the stress response and, and more into coherence so that when you're in a situation in your day-to-day -day life and you don't have that hook to your ear, then you've at least learned how to do it on your own. Right. right. Yeah. That's, that's the key is, is, you know, I always tell people, you're not going to like hide in a closet during a meeting and go, wait, got to do my heart math. <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, a practice that you develop and then you, you start to notice how your body feels when it's in that good place where you're in coherence and heart rate variability can be measured a lot of different ways um, with different devices. But I think this one's particularly helpful because it's got four different levels. You can start at the base level and start to work your way up. It gets more sensitive to your heart rate variability as you work with it. And it's really um, not incredibly expensive, but you know, very, very useful um, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. I love heart math. I usually give people heart math exercises to do even before they yes. are using the device. But you so many yeah. ways to really manage that stress and make the decision to um, shift what you're doing in your life to really make your body um, optimized physiologically. And you've seen people whose symptoms have gone down because they're doing these things, right? Quite drastically, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's really powerful. Part. Yeah. It's an, the amazing mm -hmm. part when you can actually see people making changes and they yes. can connect those things and realize that's what they need to keep in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So we've dug down into a lot of really good stuff. And I think, um, I think we're going to probably wrap it up here. Is there, is there anything else, any final thoughts that you want to share with people or how they can find you, how they can connect with you if they're interested? Um, and, you know, go ahead. Sure. Um, so my website for my practice is Balanced Living FM, which stands for functionalmedicine.com. And I'm on Facebook at Dr. Emily Rodersheimer and Instagram, uh, Balanced Living FM. So you can follow me there. But I, uh, I think my la the last thing I would say is, um, you know, really that I would just recommend just take some time to try to be aware of the stress. That's really the first thing, you know, so maybe today as you go throughout your day, you can think through, um, you know, different times and how you're feeling and, and, you know, hey, are your neck, are the muscles in your neck and, and, you know, shoulders getting tight? Are you breathing really shallow? You know, just looking for those different signs that maybe stress is a problem and see if you can do something to change it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah. A great place to start. A simple place to start. Yes. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being part of this. I'm really excited to share this with people and, um, you know, get them connected to you if they want to. But, but other than sure. that, I mean, it's great information, like lots of things for people to really um, think about and maybe start to employ or explore um, in their lives. Well, thank you, Dr. Emily, for such a well thought out exploration of stress and how it can affect our bodies and overall health. If you want to explore how stress might be affecting you, please check out the show notes for a stress questionnaire and some tools provided by Dr. Emily to address stress in addition to the information provided today. The show notes will include many links to things discussed today, such as heart math, adaptogenic herbs and books, and much more. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show as usual, please share 
And if you want to head over to the Apple podcast, full capacity living page to rate and review the show. This helps to increase the reach and awareness of the benefits of functional medicine. I do appreciate your support and to find out more about my coaching practice, find me at karenbush.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.